Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. B. She is an author, a physician, a speaker, a lifestyle and wellness consultant, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Welcome, Dr. B. How are you today? Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much for having me today. I really am excited to be here. And I am very excited to jump in to sh- and share all about your journey, your story and the beautiful light you put out into the world through all the work you're doing. So with that being said, let's jump in and get started. As mentioned, you wear all of those hats. That is one hell of an extensive resume. How do you find the time for all that you do and how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization for you? Okay. So I rarely watch television. I rarely binge watch anything, but I do sleep. I do eat. I do find time for fun things and self-care, but I am highly organized and I'm highly motivated. Somewhat of anomaly. Grew up that way, being the first daughter of a first generation Filipino family. And most of us are like that. So I use that to my advantage. I'm very curious then with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like? I'm actually really glad you're asking this because I don't think a lot of people know. I follow a lot of my gurus, I guess you would say, or role models, and I've taken a little bit of each of their practices in the morning. And I do have my, I guess you could call it a power hour, a golden hour, more like probably two hours. (laughs) (laughs) It spills out because it feels so good. Like I don't want to start my day until I do all these things. And so I wake up around 530, hydrate myself. I don't need anything yet. I hydrate myself. I have this. And then I do a little stretch routine, which is a combination of yoga, Tai Chi, Pilates. And then I'll have my morning smoothie, do a little bit of meditation, great gratitude journaling, praying. And I actually go to morning mass at our local church nearby, which is that quick half hour, do little prayers and community. And by the time I come back, I would have meditated during that time, put out my intention for the day. And by the time I come back, I'm ready to work out or do whatever I need to do for the day. Usually workout is at the same time as like listening to a podcast or doing something. I stack these things. Yeah. So it's kind of peppered through the day. And that's how I start. And if I don't start my day without those things, I feel off. I feel that there's something off and I'm not as efficient as yeah. it would be if I did do them. That's a hell of a routine. You go to church every morning? Pretty much. Wow. <laughs> Pretty much. That's... On the weekends, if we usually have a Saturday evening mass, that's mm-hmm. the vigil mass for Sunday. So if I don't go on Saturday, I'll go on Sunday. So I do right. I do take a break, but <laughs> I pretty much go every day. And if I can't go for whatever reason, I will watch it on Facebook, like a live stream yeah. of a local church. But it, wow. it really grounds me uh, more than anything, just to set intention for the day and just clear my mind. And what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Belinda? That's a multi-leveled question. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, it's my sons, really. I do everything for them, but also to mm. show them what is possible in the world. I'm very spiritual, so I also do it as a, you know, what God gives to you is your gift, but what you do with it is your gift 
back to God kind of thing. Right. So that's also a big why my family, my husband, extended family. But then also, like I said, I'm a first generation Filipino American, so and Canadian. And yes. <laughs> I'm both. Yeah, we got to put that and, in there. <laughs> I have to put that in there. I'm very proud of that. And I feel the great responsibility to leave a legacy through those channels of which my parents came here, came to Canada, came back to America and really started their legacy. And I want to carry that torch. So how does the Canadian part fit into that? Did you come from the Philippines to America first, then Canada, then back to America? Or did you come from the Philippines to Canada, then to America? My parents came to America in 1960, in the early 1960s, once they graduated medical school and did their residency here. My mom was offered a fellowship for pulmonary pediatric medicine. She's also a pediatrician at Toronto Hospital for Sick Children. And so they relocated for about a year, two years. And I was born during that time. And we moved back before I was two years old. And since then, so I was born in Canada, Toronto General, I believe, if that's still Mm -hmm. there. Yep. And we moved back to New York, Brooklyn, New York, and came to Long Island, New York in the early 1970s, like 1973. And I've been there ever since. Now, you yourself are an MD, a pediatrician, that you had your own practice. How long did you work as a pediatrician and what inspired your journey into the world of medicine and becoming a doctor? So as I said, my parents both graduated from medical school in the Philippines and came here and they created their own network of other Filipino doctors, some from China, some from India. Some from, it was a time period in the early 60s where there was a great influx of Filipino doctors from third world countries. I mean, not Filipino, but doctors from third world countries to, to fill some spots here in the United States. So I've actually have done some research on this and I have seen that a lot of people that have parents that came from the Philippines during this time all started having their own little networks and niches of people that they supported each other with what they were missing from their homeland. And right. these people have become godparents to the, each other's children. And now where becoming godparents to our own children within that little... That's pretty incredible. It's really amazing. So I was immersed in medicine, in science, dinner conversations. (laughs) I mean, oh, we're going to see your godmother. We're meeting her at the hospital because she has only an hour to eat with us. (laughs) I was always in the hospital. I was always in clinics. I was always helping. I was always listening. My play was being on call and my teddy bear was sick. (laughs) or mixing up flour and baking soda and different food coloring in my lab. So I was (laughs) in science and I just, I loved it. I still love it. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) It's just in your DNA, you were just born into it and this is it. Yes, I was comfortable with it. I was comfortable with the language, with the surrounding. I'm comfortable in a hospital, in a clinical setting. So was it something that you just knew you wanted to do when you came to that age where, okay, it's time for you to choose which path you want to go? There was no second thoughts. It's just, no medicine and that's it. Yes. I mean, initially I wanted to be a teacher in grade school. I loved all my teachers in grade school. So I wanted to be a teacher. And then I just really loved science and really loved what physicians did, how they helped people. Yeah. And then there was somebody that told me along the way, doctors are actually teachers. And that's actually the root word of doctor comes from doctoros, which is Greek for teacher, I think. Okay. I so then that complete was like, all right, I definitely that's want it. to be a doctor now. And I, it's not <laughs> yeah. a teacher. It, I can be both. That probably happened around, I'm, and I'm not kidding, probably around like fifth grade, fourth grade. Wow. So ever since then, I knew that yeah. I wanted to be a physician. That's pretty yeah. incredible to know at that age. I mean, yeah. you we still hear of people struggling in their 30s, 40s, what they want to do with their life, even their 50s. They still yeah. don't know what they want to do. So yes. that is pretty incredible that in grade five or grade four, you knew this is it. This is my path. Yes. Yes. And in fact, I wanted to be a an OBGYN. And then uh, my parents would say, well, there's a, that's a lot of on call and you're at the beck and call of your patients and you know you might have to sacrifice some weekends maybe think of something else and right and said, you know what i think i want to be a pediatrician so instead of catching the babies i'm taking care of the babies <laughs> and it worked out for a yeah. while i i really love working with children and seeing the growth of, yeah. of children now we're hearing a 
at least I have heard, and I'm sure you have as well, a lot about women who work in the field of medicine, in particular nurses, doctors, that they're experiencing a very high rate of burnout due to the demands of the job, etc. What was the catalyst for you leaving the field of traditional or Western medicine? Was that due to burnout for you? And can you speak a little bit about your experience and about burnout in the medical field, particularly as it relates to women? Absolutely, Brett. I mean, that's the biggest reason why I left. I love my patients, it was a very difficult decision to leave them and tell them after, I guess I was in practice with them for about a decade, a little over, seeing these these little babies grow up and become little humans and just yeah. helping and nurturing them was very hard for me. I called every single one of my patients when I made the decision to leave and told them why, because I've forged such a great relationship with practically everybody on my patient roster. It wasn't yeah. a roster for me. It was family. The demands of the bureaucratic insurance agencies and malpractice and the health insurance. I know you may not have that in Canada, but here in America, it what the demand of that I was crippling and I was not able to practice medicine in the way I thought in integrity with the way I thought it should be practiced. During the time I, I opened my practice, I was the new kid on the block. So I had to be novel. I had to be different. There were a lot yeah. of pediatric practices around. So I did things like home visits. I did things like newborn home visits so that you wouldn't have to bring newborns into the office and expose them. And I did different things like that, breastfeeding support, car seat safety support. And it became between that and not being reimbursed properly by the insurance agencies, it became difficult to practice. Even as my practice was growing, my overhead was growing. Mm -hmm. So it really didn't, it didn't become cost effective. If, and yeah. it was burning me out because I would work. 60 to 70 hours a week. I made the mistake of, we were one of the first people in the area to have an electronic health record, like medicals, EMR. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I made the mistake of putting a terminal of one, a computer that had access to it in my home. So right. I was always on it. Five minute check of a lab result ended into two or three hours of just being on my computer, checking things and making sure everything was right. And I became chained when I'm not even married to my profession, chained to it. And it affected my home life and my relationships and even my own health. And so have you seen a lot of that, a lot of burnout among your colleagues that you've worked with over the years? Yes, a lot of them have left or have reduced their time in ORs and delivery rooms in hospitals and their clinics. So about 10 years ago, our OBGYN friend said that his medical malpractice was a quarter of a million dollars a year. Medical malpractice. Wow. Machine. And he had three other OBGYNs in his practice. So their practice was a million dollars off the bat went to their malpractice. Holy crow. Yes. And for in the US, that's the second highest. The highest are neurosurgeons. Luckily, pediatricians are almost at the bottom because yeah. very low liability, less than us would be dermatologists, right. but it still took a big chunk of my overhead. It just started over time, just eating away at any. Well, before you even get started, you're paying out X right. amount of dollars right. and that's right off the top before you get anything. Exactly. Then you throw in the vaccines that you pay for, any of the medical supplies, and then your staff. It's just, even for a small practice like mine, it was tough to make ends meet. Yeah, I'm sure. And yeah. so with your parents both being doctors, how did they take the news of you leaving your medical practice? Yeah, so this is this was a hard thing. Actually, before, so my father passed away before I finished okay. medical school. However, he always told me, like, don't become a doctor because we're doctors. I want you to do something that will make you happy. And at that time, I said, this will make me happy. And they never were in private practice. They always worked for hospitals. So they didn't okay. see what my mom was unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> she was unhappy, but it was really affecting my health and my well-being. And I didn't want to continue. There was no other choice, really. I mean, when you talk about your health and well-being, if your job is affecting it that much, you got one or the other. You're going to choose yeah. your health. Right. Correct. I want to speak, since we're talking about the medical systems, I'm pretty sure that you and I are on the same page and of the same mindset when it comes to the healthcare and medical systems. And of course, you're in the US, I'm up here in Canada. But I think we can both agree 
from a patient's perspective and you being a doctor who worked in the system, the systems are severely broken in both countries. Now, I know you really can't speak to Canada because you're not here, but I'm also going to say that these failed or broken medical systems are in part what's leading to all the burnout, I would think, among the nurses. Would you agree with that? And in your opinion, I'd love to hear, first of all, why do you think the healthcare system is so broken? I think our healthcare system, again, I can only speak for the United States. I'm not sure with Canada, although I do get glimpses from my relatives that live there. We are so focused on the repair of diseases, repair of conditions, and not as much focus on preventative care. We do have preventative care education, anticipatory guidance, things like that. However, and I'm going to go out on the limb to say this, I think that a lot of it comes down to the dollar, to the money, because there are pharmaceutical companies or the insurance agencies, and I'm I'm just speaking from speculation. I don't have exact evidence. Of course. But taking a pill is much easier than exercising every day, eating your fruits and vegetables every day, making sure you're asleep, you get your seven to nine hours of sleep and your water requirement and your self-care. I mean, that's dedication. That's discipline. That's what I do every morning, right? That power. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people don't want to do that. They want the magic pill. They want the magic procedure. And our society has trained that It has ingrained that into our people. It's also in the foods that we eat, the foods that are being advertised, the preservatives, things like that. We've gone away from that good old-fashioned fruits and vegetables with a lot of minerals and and vitamins and eating well. And we use a Stairmaster, but we won't take the stairs, that kind of (laughs) idea. We drive our car to the gym and we walk on the treadmill. It's a shift. And there are communities called blue zones across the world that that's not their norm. And they live, they have longevity and they don't only add years to their life. They add life to their years that they're octogenarians that are have vim and vigor. So clearly we have a lot to learn still Mm -hmm. in that. It's funny. I was interviewing a nutritionist yesterday and we were talking about the foods. You mentioned the foods and we don't eat the proper foods and a lot of the stuff that is in the foods. And so this woman, she will do videos on social media outing different food products and their ingredients. And one video sticks in my head, and I told her this in the interview yesterday, she pulled a box of Hostess Twinkies off the shelf, and there is propylene glycol in the Twinkies. It's like, how is this even possible? That That's wind, that's engine coolant. Like, how, <laughs> like, it's insane to me that this stuff goes into our foods. And you know what? Part of the onus is on us, of course, to be responsible and read the ingredients. You're putting this into your body and the people just blindly eat this crap and don't even think about what's in it or what it's made with. Or So yeah, that's part of it, obviously. But I think that We as humans, we always want the quick fix. Like you said, the magic pill, the magic bullet that's going to just take care of everything. There is no magic bullet in life with anything, with our health, with putting in the work to get your business to where you want it to be. All of these different, everybody wants the quick fix. They don't want to put in the work. Right. And you're right. It's been ingrained into us. Society has ingrained into us that you can do this. There is a magic bullet. So people just fall into that and believe it. Absolutely. It's like the microwave minute society that we wanted everything yesterday. Yeah. The old rolling up your sleeves and putting in the work is almost non-existent. Yeah. So yes, and and, and it's true. Little increments of work every day. People don't want to commit to it. I mean, even look at all the drive-throughs that are popping up everywhere. I mean, drive-through pharmacies. We don't have that here in Canada. I've never seen a drive-through pharmacy here, but I know they're in the states. I've seen them. Drive really? You yeah. can't get out of your car to walk in to pick yeah. up your prescription or your deodorant or your shaving cream or whatever. Like this is just encouraging that laziness and encouraging that behavior of, you know what, here's a magic bullet. Here's the quick fix. Don't worry about it. You don't have to get out of your car to get your prescription. Just drive right up. We'll give it to you. Yeah. And, and with our health, I mean, that's the least that we should be doing things like that with is our health. You're, that's your vitality. That's your life. And you're looking for the easy way out. Yeah. We just, as a society, got lulled into that lullaby. This is the way it is. And this is, oh, you're so busy and let's help you. And But in the end, it really isn't helping. Especially no, it's hindering. As get older. 
Yeah. As we get older, it's just harder for us to do things. But the way to do it is to get out there and walk and do yeah. it and do the things instead of just succumbing to it. Even just a little bit of movement, get out and walk every day. Right. That's all it takes. You're not saying you have to go to the gym and work out for an hour and a half every day, but get out and walk, at least move your body. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So some of the people that I coach, I say one way to get walking is you make sure you drink your water requirement every day because you'll have to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, there you go. When you get up and go to the bathroom, walk around your office or walk around your house or whatever for five minutes before you come back. So at least you get some steps and you do some stretching and people laugh and I, and I laugh, but it's true. It's that's yeah. what I try to do that. I try to drink a lot of water because then I'm like, oh, I have to go to get, I have to go to yeah. walk and do some, you know, some planks or whatever. <laughs> Just a reminder, a built-in yeah. reminder. In your opinion, then, how do we find a way forward and out of this severely damaged and broken system and begin to find solutions for people? I mean, I really think the current system is irreparable. So what's the answer here? Does it need to be burned to the ground and start over? And how it's just, it's mind boggling how we even get started with this. Yeah, it really is, Brad. I don't even know where to begin to answer that question because it's such an entangled web. And to be honest, so the first thing off the bat in my mind is to say, let's get more functional medicine physicians or more lifestyle medicine doctors into these facilities. And I have to be honest with you. And, and now, granted, this is the only the first time I went. I did that. I went to, I was so happy. I found a hospital nearby that had functional medicine physicians. I am undergoing menopause now, the lovely gift of the 50s, the 40s, the 50s. And I wanted to address it through diet, through self-care, through exercise. Mm. And I don't want to go on hormone replacement therapy or anything. Right. Or even supplements for that matter. So I went and I was not happy with both two doctors that I had seen I didn't think they listened to me in terms of the lifestyle that I want to live. And they mm. was the magic bullet again. Here, take this, do this. And I just felt like this is not what I was looking for. So even then, the functional medicine doctor, oh, they're also MDs. There's still some learning to do. I'm kind of anx- anxiously awaiting what is going to come out of the next few years, decade. Of course, we are still looking to see what has come out of the pandemic and how that has affected our health overall as societies. There are some studies of our digestive systems aren't the same. A little geeky science on you, but our (laughs) mitochondria is not the same. Our mitochondria and our muscles are not producing as much energy as a result of being in the pandemic. So just a lot of different things that are now being awakened. It it will be interesting to see how that's going to have a play in repairing these broken systems and really addressing what is important, the health of society. That's yeah. the importance. And I think that's being overlooked. Do you think it needs to maybe go back to education and educating our doctors better that are going through the system to become yes. doctors? I think that would be a very good start. The doctors and nurses, nutritionists, therapists, physical therapists, anybody that has any patient interaction, I think would be a wonderful way to introduce preventative. And I, don't, I just want to say lifestyle medicine, lifestyle choices. It's not just about food. It's about how you care for your body, self-care, exercise, yeah. hydrating it, giving it rest and things like that. That has to play an important role because it's it can't always be medicine, pills, mm-hmm. surgeries, yeah. procedures. It has it's- to, our body wants to heal itself. And we do have the tools within us to heal ourselves. It's more reactive than proactive in terms of how it's treated. You're treating the symptoms, not the root. Correct. Absolutely correct. That's exactly right. So if we learn how our bodies work and what makes it work optimally, and everybody's different, but for the most part, we have an idea. I think we would be able to reduce a lot of these conditions, whether it's indigestion, migraines, eczema, just things that aren't life-threatening, but do affect the quality of life. But and here comes the big but that <laughs> would cost a lot of money for those right. that are making the money. So, and I'm not talking about the doctors. Or no, the I know. So, I yeah. so that's the big thing here. I, I was speaking with a woman who transitioned as well out of 
the Western medicine world and into lifestyle medicine. And she was a couple of things she mentioned. And she said, one of the things in terms of trying to fix the system, she said, look at it as like turn, trying to turn around one of those giant steamboats that you see on the Mississippi, like that, the wheels of modern medicine work. So like the system, it just goes so slow. And she was also saying that going through medical school, they don't, there's only a very small amount of time spent on nutrition. Absolutely. Which is ridiculous that it's integral. Yeah. And I'm actually happy you mentioned this because my mentor in graduate school, she was not a uh, MD, she was a PhD. And she was the one that felt it was important to bring nutrition to the medical students because our graduate student classes were taught by the same professors as our medical school classes. So Mm. I got to hear them both, but I was able to work with her one-on-one when I was in graduate school. And she was the one who brought nutrition and metabolism course to medical school not and not like in the 60s or the 50s (laughs) 80s you know so it it really was just overlooked and even then it wasn't a big comprehensive thing i mean she made it that way over time but it was really eye-opening we just there's so many things we didn't learn yeah i've spoken with a few lifestyle medicine doctors and others who have made the switch to a more holistic path. And it would seem that this is the route that physicians and the likes, much like yourself, are taking because of the way the system is working or not working, as we can clearly see. I had one lifestyle medicine doctor who was based in the UK, and she referred to her practice as the McDonald's or drive-through model of medicine. What are your thoughts on that? Like She said she would get, I think it was like 10 minutes or something with each patient, and that's it. That's not even near enough time to spend with a patient and figure out what's going on. That's absolutely right. And I did not even realize that was happening in the UK, but that has been happening here in the United States for a very long time. And being on both sides of the coin as a patient and a physician, the physician has to work against the clock and has to overbook because of the attrition or the cancellation rate. And in order to make your quota to make money that day, Let's say you need to see four patients in an hour, let's say. Right. That's mm-hmm. being generous. So you yeah. have to book eight patients in the hour because most of the time half will cancel. But wow. there are days when half don't cancel. <laughs> so how can you possibly see eight patients in an hour? Correct. So you have the irate patients or, in my case, the parents and their children, yeah. which I don't blame them. Don't blame them. They're paying a lot for insurance, but it's like the, I read somewhere it's doctors being blamed for this is like blaming the police for crime on the streets. It's not that it's the system. And right. we rely on the copays and we rely on the people showing up to make sure that the office runs. Yeah. So it's the patient and the doctors kind of putting hands, but that's not the real issue there it's the insurance companies it's the system a itself lot of the money the systems the insurance companies maybe even the pharmaceutical companies so i don't know exactly like i said what's going on there but that's kind of the dynamic that i had seen which really forced me out of medicine it just yeah. wasn't what clinical medicine is was not what i thought it was going to be and i couldn't make a living out of it that early in the game Usually people that do make a living, they can go and they join a practice. I really wanted to craft my own type of different practice, and it wasn't viable in this system that we have currently now. It's like pushing a boulder uphill. Yeah, exactly. It's it's mind-boggling. So it's a lose-lose because the patients are the ones that are losing out the biggest because this is their health. And of course, the doctors are losing out because of money, and it's so severely broken. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of different things like licenses that are get renewed and the fees for that. And I think I read somewhere or I heard somewhere at a seminar that when the licenses went up to renew, the fees went up in the state of New York. The ones that went up the most were the physicians and those were the ones that didn't refute it. They didn't argue. They didn't appeal. They just paid it. They don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. True. Because if you're not going to say anything... Then they'll just keep doing it. Correct. So, how has that transition been for you moving into a more holistic health and wellness approach to healthcare? So, it's been very, let me say, interesting. (laughs) Because, like I said, many people don't want to put the work. 
right into it they'll say to me oh your skin's lovely or this is that you have so much energy what do you do and then i'll tell them like i told you what do i do yeah. in the first hour two yeah. hours of my day and people are like oh you don't have multivitamin or something i could take <laughs> something like that so that's really where that's at but then you get one or two people that are absolutely excited about it how the mm -hmm. way they feel what they can do what they're fitting into clothing wise and that's where the reward comes from to see a life that's changed for the better yeah because of your coaching and every person's different so you have to really tailor it to that person's needs and medical history and lifestyle but i mean really when you think about it it's one hour out of 24 we all have the same amount of hours in a day so what is one hour get up an hour earlier Right. If this is your health, right? I mean, we only have one life to live, so Correct. it's one hour a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling, right? People will scroll on Facebook or yeah. channel surf or internet surf or whatever for more than that a day. <laughs> so that's also discipline. I come to that too. I'm addicted to my phone and Facebook, and I have to be like, okay, you didn't X Y Z, but now you're doing this. Put yeah. the phone on. Do what you need to do. Reward yourself with scrolling for 15 minutes afterward. It's a constant self-regulation, if yeah. you will. And it's work. There you go. And that's the key right there is that people just don't want to do the work. They just, Correct. again, it goes back to the silver bullet. So with the switch from traditional medicine to health and wellness, what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? I think... So I just said when somebody gets it and they're happy and they feel great, but then the butterfly effect from there, when that ripples onto the fact that they're more connected with their significant other, or they spend more time with their children, more connected, uh, wholehearted time, or they're just engaged in their career or their passion more, the ripple effect, the butterfly effect from that and the possibilities, that's what keeps me going. To know that is the opportunity and the possibility. You're not changing just one life. You're changing yeah. any lives that person is now touching. That's what gets me going. How do you work with other healthcare professionals to adopt a more overall health and wellness approach? And how do you see collaboration between practitioners contributing to the future of healthcare? This is a very good question because not all healthcare professionals are open to thinking the same way. So I am very diligent about seeking out people for myself and to refer people to because I'm not a, 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 a physician, clinical physician anymore, although yeah. I still hold an MD. I don't treat, diagnose, or do any of those things anymore. I refer them to the rightful specialist or regular practitioner for that. So I really try to find people that are the same mindset and I'll check them out myself first yeah, or yeah. get to know them I'd never refer anybody to anyone unless I've met them or talked to them over the phone. And if I haven't, but I've heard good things, then I'll tell the patient, listen, or the person, listen, I've never met this person, but I've only heard good things. Check them out. Do you see more professionals in the Western side of medicine being a little more adaptable to accepting the more, we'll call it Eastern methods of medicine and trying to move into that model? Is it becoming more accepted, do you think? So that's a, an interesting question because I'm now looking at it more from a patient perspective being on the other side. I will say doctors of osteopathy, DOs, are more apt to think that way, which is why I like to have more. I mean, I have my personal physicians are MDs and DOs, and I just find that DOs have a little bit more open-minded approach to that if I say, well, I like to eat this because it makes my eggs in my glass. They'll be like, okay. And I think now as the old school physicians are kind of phasing out, now we're becoming the old school physicians <laughs> just in our 50s. I went to the doctor the other day and it was being taken care of by the doctor. If I, all I kept wanting to ask him was like, how old are you? <laughs> I think I'm old enough to be your mother. <laughs> but I hated it when people would ask me that when I was a doctor, a new doctor. Yeah. Like, how old are you? You look like the candy striper. I'm like, that's not nice. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so it's a big wait and let's wait and see. But yeah. I, I really feel, I feel hopeful because of, there's a lot of new trends and a lot of patients like us are becoming more educated on yeah. the alternatives. 
Well, here's to hoping that things start to shift. Yeah, I feel hopeful. I don't know how long it will take, but I do feel hopeful. Yeah. You say that you love to empower people to flourish and live their best lives by obsession. Can you share with us why you've decided to make this your personal mission and why it's so personally important to you? Yeah, this is, wow. When I look back on my life and who and what influenced me, I always can pinpoint it to a time where I had an aha moment or somebody told me something and it completely took my life from here to a quantum leap there. And it was a rush and it's empowering and it's fantastic. And that's what I call flourishing. Okay. That's my definition of flourishing. When someone comes to me and asks for coaching or asks for guidance, I see what that potential can be in that person. Sometimes they don't see it. Most of the times they don't see it, but I can see them catapulting themselves. So, but for them, it's not a leap and bound. It's tiny steps. Very rarely sleep in a bounce. So for me to help them along there to get that quantum leap, that for me is what flourishing is. And that's my obsession. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Could be my Here, dog, I hear your passion. Right? For it. Could be my husband. It could be my sister's dog. I mean, I don't know, but I <laughs> you want everybody that. to flourish. It could be a stranger and I could yeah. just be like, I like your the color of your hair and they just light up and you could tell I mean, it, it just I crave it. Yeah. I crave it. It's <laughs> it's my mission in life. <laughs> I love it. I think it's I a beautiful be, mission. I like, be like the miracle grow of blossoms of <laughs> quantum leap growing. <laughs> I love it. So how exactly do you help your clients and the people you work with to flourish? That's also a very a tricky question because, like I said, a lot of people don't see the potential in themselves. I can see it right away after we speak for a few minutes and I do some intake. I know exactly where this person can go, what they can be, what they can do. But their biggest enemy is their self-talk and the demons inside that had been the tracks that had been laid down earlier that keep playing in their minds. So even though there are times that I tried to help them get like I said, to that quantum leap level, even if we walk away from our interaction forever, how long it may be, and they're just somewhat more flourished or uh, (laughs) opened up than they were when they first came to me, then I did my job. What I saw it to be, at least I know they did it to what they can at that time with the tools they had at that moment. So yeah, we are our own worst enemies. We are our biggest hurdles. And, you know, if we can learn to turn the volume down inside, then that's the goal. We have to deal with the external noise as well from all the people around us who say, oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. That's not, you're really doing that. But I think that if we're able to quiet or silence or turn down the volume internally, that other stuff, that's a walk in the park. That's nothing because this is the worst one. The one inside you is the hardest to deal with and get over. But again, it speaks to you got to do the work. You do the work. You got to silence those demons every morning, whatever it may be. When people come to me and ask me how you do it, I go, I don't like to journal. I don't know. Well, then just speak to them. Tell them like, no, not today. I'm not listening to you or take a walk or just sit in front of a candle for 15 minutes and think of nothing. Clear that mind. Whatever works for you is what you need to do. You're the master of your soul, of your faith, yeah. what you're thinking. So it really does make a difference. It does for yeah. sure. I have found that meditation, journaling, and getting out and walking, those are the three biggest things for me. Those help huge. Yes. It makes such a difference. And you feel the difference when you're in that practice of doing those things on a regular basis, and then you stop for whatever reason, you fall off, whatever. You feel the difference when you don't do it for an extended period of time. Yes. You start to go into these bad drifting habits. and Yeah. I like to say bad, but things that don't serve you. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I used to be able to do this and this, but why am I not doing that now by this time of day? And then you're like, oh, I fell off. So, But once you get into that practice, though, then it's just second nature. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Brushing your teeth in the morning. When you don't brush your teeth in the morning, something is funky for the rest of the day. (laughs) You know, it's basically the same thing. (laughs) But you know what, though? If you put in that work on the front end, and again, it's not easy. Absolutely. 
by no stretch of the imagination is it easy. You put in that work on the front end, it will pay dividends in the long run. Because again, you get into a practice, it just becomes second nature, it just becomes habit. And then you don't even think about it, you just do it. Right. So put in the work on the front end, you're golden. Yes. And you show up differently in the world when you do that without even saying a word, people can tell. And then there's the ripple effect of that. Right. You can influence and affect people just by who you are without even saying anything, but what you do and who you are and how you, like I just said, show up in the world. So that's also a part of being a coach or a mentor. It's not just what you say or how, but it's how what you listen to and also how you're showing up. Yeah. I have a mentor that says, never take advice for someone more screwed up than you are. <laughs> you <know? So>, <laughs> so anytime I'm looking for advice and I want to learn, I want to see what this person how they carry themselves, how they show up in the world. Because if it's what I want to do or want to be, then I will listen. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, and you're not going to ask someone who's never been where you want to go for advice or for suggestions, right? Correct. Or be what you want to be to emulate. Then I will take their advice or their whatever their yeah. input for whatever it's worth in terms of the goal or mission that I'm on to achieve whatever means I'm trying to achieve. Very deliberate about that. Absolutely. Now, I want to speak about your journey into the world of becoming an author. Was becoming an author something that was on your bucket list of items that you wanted to accomplish? And also, was writing always a part of who you are? I mean, did you always like to write growing up or and it just carried on into your adult years? Or, or is writing a fairly new endeavor for you? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> or no, yes, no. So yeah, I knew I was going to author a book in my lifetime as it was on my bucket list, but I didn't think I would do it this soon. Not that it's that soon, but all my life I loved to read okay. ever since I was little. I just loved to read. I loved curling up with a book. I loved reading. I always journaled, but I never thought the two would kind of help each other, which yeah. is how this book was born. By all okay. the years of reading and all the self-help or personal growth and development, or even prayers or homilies that I heard at church, or podcasts, podcasts, TED Talks, trainings, all culminated into this book after journaling for a while around it. Well, let's dive into, I would love to hear, can you speak a little bit about the book that you wrote? Can you tell us the title, the subject matter, and what that experience was like for you sharing and writing your story and putting it out into the world? Yeah. So the title, I'll start with the title is Mom, I Want to Be a Fighter, an eye-opening guide to the speed bump, gut punches, and miracles of life. So that's a mouthful. <laughs> that's quite the mouthful. <laughs> yeah. So usually it's just Mom, I Want to Be a Fighter. And I will take you back to September of 2020, mm. where my son was in college. We call it college, but it's really university yeah. in Canadian yeah. term. And uh, <laughs> he was in beginning his third year of university with a wonderful tuition scholarship package. So in other words, I know, Brad, you and I spoke about this. Yes. The college and university in the United States is a lot of money. Yes. We actually almost thought of going to Canada for this education, higher education. Wow. My children are, are dual citizenship as well since I'm yeah. Canadian. But that didn't come to fruition. But anyway, so we're talking tens and tens of thousands of dollars a year. And he was basically going for most of that being paid for. So this was in the middle of the pandemic. There were going remotely, sort of, in, the, in and out. Anyway, he calls us on the phone or FaceTime and says, Mom and Dad, I want to leave school and become a professional boxer. <laughs> yes. So as a physician, a pediatrician, seeing what clothes had injuries are like in the middle of the pandemic, well, we didn't know. When you had COVID, it was almost like a death sentence. Like yeah. we still didn't have vaccines at that time. I didn't know if this gym was using protocol in terms of keeping it COVID safe. And just the fact that you're halfway done, son, like finish or do boxing alongside. I don't, and he still knows, I don't like it because of the potential hazards around yeah. it, but he loves it. It's his passion. He used, well, I'm doing what you always told me to do, mom. <laughs> passion. Don't listen to the naysayers. <laughs> I, I was like, don't use my, and I didn't <laughs> Don't use my stuff on me. <laughs> yeah. Don't use my stuff on me, but I didn't say stuff. <laughs> said shit. Don't use my shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I did the old, well, 
we're going to support you, whatever you want to do. We'll talk about this more. Hang on. Yeah. I was livid mm. and I'm not going to, and spoiler alert, I'm not going to spoil the book, but <laughs> what I ended up doing was through this, I journaled right. more than I did every day on my computer, every expletive, every <laughs> demon voice, everything in my head. And over time I said, let me write a little, as if I was writing a book, let me write a forward. And I wrote as if I was talking to the reader. Mm-hmm. And I said to my husband, read this. I think this it might be onto something. And when he read it, he turned around, he looked at me and he cried. And he goes, I, I think you should. I think you should make this a book. I think wow. this will help people. Um, not just parents, but anyone that comes across a speed bump or a gut punch mm-hmm. and then turns it into a miracle for your life. Something like, oh, moment, which is what it was for us, for all of us involved. It became that. It became a blessing in disguise because we became closer as a family and still able to communicate, even though he knew that this is not the way we wanted for him. I mean, that's got to be hard. You visualize a direction for your kids and then they're, like you said, halfway, three quarters of the way through what they were going. They were all on board and then it's, uh uh-oh, it's time we're taking a U-turn here. Mom, dad. I want to do this instead in a complete opposite direction. Like I can't, that must've taken quite a bit for you and your husband, for you and his father to get past and to really, I mean, they're adults, but they're still our kids. Right. So it's hard to let that go and say, okay, well, and then when they use your shit on you, it's like, (laughs) what can you say? Mom, you said this, you can't really say, well, no, that wasn't for you. That was just me saying that you have to let it go. And that is hard. So I want to share a concept with you, Brad. So my husband and I took this leadership intensive. And one of the concepts is standing in your vision versus standing in your ground. So our vision is our child to be happy, fulfilled, living life to the fullest, and just being successful. Our ground is for him to do it through college, maybe grad school, law school, I don't know, getting a high paying job and getting settled down. And But his was his ground, his vision. I mean, his ground was to do it through boxing and maybe yeah. later, we're not sure. So our vision was the same, happy yeah. child, living yes. his full potential, living life just absolutely gloriously but the ground was different. So we had a decision. Are we going to stand in our vision? Are we going to stand in our ground? If we stand in our vision, we could still help him. We could still guide him, stay in the background, but still kind of guide him. But if we stand in our ground, we are at the risk of losing a relationship with him. So that was the decision we had to make. So, but I also say that we were still in integrity. He knows that I don't like it and he still knows, but I still, as we said, we're still in your corner. But, yeah, um, we still want to help you. <laughs> love the your- boxing reference there. It's all over. If you, <laughs> I you love it. Book, it has 12 rounds for 12 <laughs> chapters. Each chapter, the first chapter is, it's all quotes from different boxers. So the first chapter is titled, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So that's <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that because I thought it, when you and I first spoke, I thought it was incredibly unique, the way you wrote the book and the approach to writing it. And so I would love, can you Share a little bit about that because I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So my kids always, all kids get obsessed with something. Now it's like Barbie. Everybody's Barbie. Yeah. Even the old people are Barbie. Like old people, I say me. But <laughs> anytime my kids during a phase would get into something and I was like, why? I really would try to understand why. So yeah. during this time, I said, okay, so why am I so against boxing? Your dad loved boxing. You used to watch Muhammad Ali with him. So I started to delve into the stuff that I loved about that time period in the 70s. And I found all these quotes. I started to watch more documentaries just to kind of really find out about the art of boxing. So right. I almost got obsessed with it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, these ideas come to me. And I'm like, well, I definitely want 12 chapters. But I don't want to name them chapters. I want to name them rounds. Okay. And after each round... There's Dr. B's punch list, (laughs) okay? Dr. B's punch list with different writing prompts. Here comes my journaling. I love to read and then I love to journal. So I wanted a reader to pick up this book and be able to say, I get what she's saying. I can apply this to my life. And guess what? I'm going to use this as a resource or anytime I have a speed bump in my life or a gut punch, and I'm going to use this, pick it up, 
and maybe do a couple of chapters again and ask myself these questions and walk myself through this little rough patch. So that's what I did with this. And then there's the ringside notes, which is where you write everything. And then most recently, I published a smaller size workbook that is everything after all the ringside notes, all the punches, (laughs) but now you have doodle space and you have how you execute your goals and plan wise. So that's how the book (laughs) panned out. I love it. I think it's brilliant. When we first talked and you told me about it, I was like, this is genius. It's incredible. I love it. It's so succinct and it's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I will put the link for people to purchase the book in the show notes for when your episode is released. Thank you, Brad. No problem. So I do want to reiterate though, Brad, that it's not only for parents, for anyone that is dealing with something that they weren't look looking to deal with it's yeah. literally an obstacle a, a, a surprise it could be for parents it could be for single parents it could be for just leaders entrepreneurs anyone that just wants a little bit of reflection or is brave enough to do that delve by themselves a self exploration to to change so for us it wasn't about changing his mind and making him go back to school it was how can we show up different how can we change so we can deal with this and support him and still be able to have relationship with him and help him grow in his right i love the comparison you made there though standing in your vision or standing your ground i mean you could do either or but standing your ground at the risk of losing your relationship with your son. And with the vision, you both win that way, albeit it's a little bit harder for you and your husband as the parents because it's not what you envision for him. Overall, it is, though, because he's happy. He's ultimately happy. And that's ultimately what it's about is his happiness, right? Correct. Correct. It's just a matter of making the decision of which way you want to go, which is more important to you. Exactly. And I was not willing to let go of the relationship. Of course. If anything, I wanted us to become stronger through it, even though I yeah. didn't see it at the beginning. Which I'm sure you have. Yes. We're definitely stronger. And in fact, he is going back to school this oh, year. Oh, good. Oh, awesome. August to finish out. And he wants to, which is a big difference. For sure. And he's learned so much the past two years that I don't think he would learn would have learned in school because we told him he had to support himself. We weren't going to pay for his rent. Yeah. We pay for X, Y, Z. And, yeah. and he would help him out here and there, but he got jobs. He's working two jobs now. Wow. There. Actually, he's closer to you right now. than. Oh, he is he? Okay. Yeah. He's in Geneva, New York. So that's like near Syracuse and only an hour away from Buffalo or something. Uh, so it's, yeah. Okay. You want to go this route. We'll support you, but we're not going to support you financially. These are the things you want to be an adult. You're making your decision. Here's what comes along with that responsibility. Exactly. They and have then, to learn somehow, right? And he learned and he admitted to us and he said, yeah, I see now the value of an education. I want to complete it and I want to move on. So in the end, we both got our vision and our grounds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But is he still going to pursue the boxing, even though he's yes, going back to school? Yes. And, Good and for him. So lucky. The, the team that he's associated with, the coach and the coach's wife, yeah. have been such angels in his life. Couldn't have asked for better mentors for him. Yeah. And he's learned so much from them, not just in boxing, but just as to be human beings. They were former social workers. They do a lot for the community. The coach really loves all his boxers, all his fighters. And it's just been such a wonderful experience. I never would have thought that it would turn out this way. So there is always something that when you let go, you'll be surprised. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I have to ask then, how hard or easy is it for you to watch his fights since you were against the whole boxing thing because of the potential hazards of it as you mentioned how do you feel about that no i don't watch them and he's actually been a cornerman for one of his best friends and i can't even watch those fights i now have know his friends yeah. there and one of his best friends had a fight recently and he was a cornerman for it and i couldn't even i mean we watch we want to support his friend but i just couldn't watch i mean yeah. i watched but i didn't watch <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> peeking through <laughs> Now, how about your husband? Does he, oh, he watch? Watches, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I think there's also, because they talk about it. They yeah. Talk about, well, how there's that know? common ground. 
Yeah, and he sends us videos of his sparring sessions, and I yeah. watch. They don't watch. You um, watch but, like this with your yes, I watch <laughs> peeking way. through like, your fingers. Like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put the pillow up. Peek yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, close my ears. Yeah, uh, cover up my ears. So yeah, but he knows that. And my best friend, she's, I say this in the book, she's always an athletic type. And she was like, you have to go. You know how important it is for a parent to watch their child in an athletic event? You need to go. It's, I don't know if I can go. (laughs) (laughs) That's understandable. Yeah. I get it. Go to the arena or wherever it is and I'll stay in the hotel room, but I don't know. <laughs> get down there on the front, like ringside seats. <laughs> no, I cannot do an Adrian Rocky thing. I, no, no. <laughs> Belinda, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think the skill set is empathy. Empathy and gosh. So it's empathy, timing, and organization. And I'm not just talking about physical organization, although that is a skill set. I think people need time and empathy to grow. And the timing of sharing what you think their best potential could be can either make or break them. So I could talk to a person and know how they're hurting or what they're lacking or what they need. My father was a psychiatrist, so I think it all stemmed from him. Yeah. Talks before he passed away. And I just channel him. And I really think it's that. I do. Yeah. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Success is being able to do what your heart tells you to do and not feeling any kind of cumberedness or holding back or being apologetic or being guilty. Any of that is just doing it. And to use the same word, flourishing yeah. it, just reveling in it and being proud of it without anybody having to say, I'm proud of you or just owning it, owning that space, that success. That's beautiful and powerful. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Ooh. So I think I learned a lot through loss, specifically the loss of my father, I think I was never the same afterward. He was my rock and my sounding board. And he taught me a lot. And my mother taught me a lot too. But my father was an old soul. And I really resonated with that. So I think he taught me a lot about that. About, I would always say, always leave a place better than you found it. Never cheat anyone. Always be the giving one within reason, you know. But always leave a place, a relationship a situation better than you found it. And I think I learned that when I was really young, maybe around the time I wanted to say, well, I want to be a doctor. That has always, I, I look at the world through a different lens once I really, that was ingrained in me. Very wise words. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment is being able to do something you thought you could never do. Or even if you thought you could do it, literally just getting that gumption or that, courage or the bravery to just incite you and do it. And then the great thing about empowerment is once you do that thing that you thought that you can do and you do it, you're becoming more empowered. And then the other great thing, the butterfly effect, right? Because when people see you do it, they become empowered. So it becomes like a self feeding like momentum thing once you start becoming empowered, which is why I'm also obsessed with that. Because when I empower myself, I can empower others. It's like the candle. You light the candle. If you're not empowered, you can't light other people's candles. But if you're empowered, you fill your own cup, you can light as many candles on the birthday cake. So I always tell people that. So that's empowerment to me. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? So I think I would say my father passing. I'm not grateful for it because I've lost somebody very dear to me. However, after experiencing that, I feel like everything has become relative to that. Mm -hmm. So whenever there are obstacles like this one that I talked about with my son, or I've had other obstacles, which would be another podcast we won't talk about, (laughs) uh, that really brought you to your knees, I looked at it as this is not the worst thing in the world. And we will become stronger for this. And my kids know that. Every time there's an obstacle, they're like, we're going to figure it out. We're going to become stronger because it. that's what I always said. And Resilience. Resilience, yes. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, would you say? 
So yeah, so I think that would be another podcast, but I will summarize it with after leaving clinical medicine and all the talk about, oh, Belinda left, whether it was my family or my colleagues. And then after that, we had a a little shift in our financial status where my husband's family business also closed. We went through a lot of financial difficulty and it taxed every relationship we've had. We have, and which is another reason that part of this book was because of that time period. And I, we really grew as individuals and as a family became closer and that laid the groundwork. So when the pandemic came and everyone was, everything shut down, we were like, oh, we're used to this. There was a time where we couldn't do this and we couldn't do that. We didn't have it. So it became a blessing because it taught us new skills to be better at, at handling obstacles. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Unstoppable. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Empathy. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Ah, peace. What is one thing you'd love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Being able to see, see the good in what could be looking like bad. <laughs> finding the silver lining. Yeah, finding a silver lining, but not only that, but just growing through it. I guess growing through it, not just going through it at the risk of sounding um, I love that. like a platitude, but yeah, really growing through something when you're faced with something and not just saying, okay, uh, this is it. What is your favorite self-care practice? Journaling. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? That she left the place better than she found it, and she was unstoppable at doing that. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> what is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? One lesson is that not everyone has the same path. We're all like snowflakes, right? So every path and every story and every situation is different. And I will be the first one to say that I suffered from that, that I was very judgmental before a lot of this stuff happened for my dad died and all this other stuff. So we have to know that we can't judge a person through our own glasses. We just can't. Yeah. Everybody has a different path. What is your why, Belinda? My why is my kids and my legacy, really. I want my grandkids and great-grandkids to know that their great-grandma was praying for them. (laughs) I want my prayers to reach all the way down to any of my bloodline and my work. My work and how I touch people and how I improve their lives. I'd like to think that I improve their lives in any way, leaving that a better way than I found it. That's what drives me every morning. If you could step into my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? I guess it would be... And it's something that I'm working on now, and I think we talked about it before, is that how is it like to be a, the daughter of an immigrant, a first-generation woman in a new world? And what are the challenges and what are the things that you contribute and what are the things that you need help with? Which is, again, a subject for another podcast. <laughs> but I'll let you in on, on my next project, on my next trick. <laughs> yeah. Can you answer a little bit of that? I'm forming a community service or resource, if you will, of Filipino women who are now living in the United States or Canada. And I'm just speaking from my own experience. I know there are other cultures that are similar or not similar, but as a Filipino woman, we were taught to be strong, but silent. And so a lot of the issues that we are not allowed to talk about have become burdens on us, but we're taught to be strong and silent. So I'd like to empower women more and give people a little bit more sacred space to talk about that and support each other, whether it's virtually or in person. Obviously, a lot of it would be virtual because it's Canada yeah. and the United States. Yeah. But to form that community where there's a safe space to be like, I'm dealing with this. Who else? How can you help? This kind of thing. So it's very much so in its fetal stages. And I'm doing a lot of research now. You actually inspired me, Brad, because oh, I remember you. You said, I want to talk to a million women. Yeah. I want to talk to a hundred Filipino women. <laughs> you know, not a million yet, but a yeah. hundred in, in Philippines and Canada and just listen. And it's been a very amazing experience. I've just been doing it now for a couple of weeks and to hear the stories and the themes. I mean, there are times I get off of the Zoom and I just gratitude and just that they shared that with me 
is a privilege. That's a beautiful vision. And I'm, I have no doubt you will reach your goal. None whatsoever. Thank you. <laughs> What's something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? So as we go on in our years, <laughs> I just realized that things that used to work in the past in terms of everyday life, whether it's exercise or eating or just thinking patterns really do change as you get older. And it's the first time in my life that I'm actually really experiencing that because I'm really, as you can tell by now, it's, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, I'm going to do do my way. Yeah, no, that's not my speed. But now with whatever hormonal, metabolic, whatever changes, it's, oh, I really didn't think that I'd have to navigate this at this stage of my game, menopause, mm-hmm. this, and the other. Mm-hmm. So now I'm relearning a whole new aspect of that. And again, also going to contribute that to this community I'm building and what I'm currently doing. But that was a shocker. Not surprised. It was a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> we'll level it up a little bit. Yeah. Just when you thought you had a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, gosh. So many women. I would have to say Mother Teresa because she exemplifies to me a woman who just put her blinders on and did what her heart told her. A lot of things mean, saying about things that people say that she's just doing this for the publicity or her organization is pocketing the money and all this stuff. And I'm just like, this woman has nothing and she's giving to the poor and she has this steadfast vision and nothing sways her. I love that. And she's this diminutive woman who lived a very modest life and was completely happy doing what she did. I mean, I know there was a time that wasn't happy for her, but I'm, I'm intrigued by her, what she stood for. An incredible woman, that's for sure. Very giving, all about being of service and in service to others. And we could all take a lesson from that. Right. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? <laughs> cool it. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah, just cool it. Believe in yourself. On the outside, people thought, that I was intrepid, indomitable, whatever, all the stuff that I may appear to be. But there's a lot of self-doubt. I think everybody does. But just believe in yourself and breathe. Love <laughs> breathe. it. Make it easy. Yeah. That's Last... more than one piece. But... <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, Belinda, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I think it would be going back to always see where you can add value to people's lives or situation. And if everybody just left the situation or a relationship or anything better than they found it, our world would be a better place. Beautiful. Belinda, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. So much fun. Lots of laughs chatting with you. I appreciate you taking and making the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your journey, your story, and the beautiful light that you put out into the world through all that you are doing and all that you are, your beautiful soul. And I am so grateful to be connected to you and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you, Brad. I mean, the pleasure and the honor is really all mine. And I'm so glad that we got connected as well. And I know this is just the beginning because I will definitely be reaching out to you for (laughs) advice, feedback, connections. I I want this to just be the beginning, honestly. It is. It is just the beginning. So thank you, Belinda. Once again, my name is Brad Welsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dr. B. She is an author, a physician, speaker, lifestyle and wellness consultant, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Thank you so much, Dr. B. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.